Welcome to the Evolved Caveman Podcast. I am Dr. John, the guide for your heroic journey towards greater health, success, and most importantly, happiness. And now, on with the show. Hi, this is Dr. John, and I am thrilled to announce that Jory and I are opening up our retreat in beautiful Costa Rica from September 28th of 2024 to October 5th. Everyone wants fulfilling relationships. The hard part is love is not enough. So many factors can get in the way preventing ongoing connection, intimacy, and aligned growth. All healthy relationships start within. But when we have unresolved stuff, it can easily interfere with those we are seeking to be closest with. Whether you're in a long-term committed partnership or are single and are looking for love, this retreat will guide you in the heroic journey of healing yourself so that you can be open and available to cultivate the fulfilling relationships you desire and deserve. To find out more, visit joryrose.com slash retreats. That's J-O-R-E-E-R-O-S-E dot com slash retreats. Hey, everybody. This is Dr. John with the Evolved Caveman Podcast, and I am back today with my lovely and talented fiance, Jory Rose. Hello. We are here to do another joint episode together because not only is this super fun for us and super important to share these tools, but we've got an amazing feedback from that last episode that we did. And so we're committed to being more vulnerable, <laughs> sharing more of what we've gone through. So that way we can really help support other couples in strengthening their relationship. Yeah, the, the feedback has been um, somewhat overwhelming and, and incredibly positive. Uh, I just had a director of uh, a VP of organizational development tell me that this was the first podcast episode he's ever listened to. He took notes on it. It was so important. And he was going immediately home to debrief with his girlfriend who had also listened to the podcast. And he was saying that it gives them language to put on what's going on in their relationship. So I, I think there's something really important and powerful here. And in this episode, we are going to go into some of the more important tools and practices that we did in order to heal ourselves after getting back together. Yeah. And these are things that I think we tried to do beforehand, but maybe didn't do to the extent that was effective for maintaining the strength of our relationship. And at the root of it, was really being able, well, there are many things at the root of it, but I, I think foundationally, as we always say, believing change is possible. Because mm -hmm. if we had gotten back together and thought, well, why even bother? It's just going to be the way that it always was. He's not going to change. She's not going to change. He's never been able to do this. She's always been this way. So let's talk a little bit about this because you and I also when we were are working with couples and couples data, so how do I know if I should stay in this relationship? We always talk about a growth mindset as being foundational in partnership. Well, and, and I think we got to drill down into that, you know, making the conscious choice to believe change is possible because I think for me, I was like, oh yeah, change is possible. Oh yeah, I've got a growth mindset about relationship skills. But what I'm talking about in, in this in particular, is getting really granular and looking at what are those specific behaviors that are causing trouble in the relationship that you need to take or that I needed to take a look at and say, I haven't been able to change this in 50 plus years. I'm going to make a conscious decision to believe that I can change this with perseverance and effort. And, and the, the, F, the, the behavior that I was looking at in particular was that getting flooded and stonewalling when we were in disagreement. Mm -hmm. Because I had I had known that was a weakness of mine in relationship, and had never had success in changing it. And then you know I got into internal family systems, which for those of you who don't know, just briefly, it's you know this belief that we're all a little bit multiple personality disorder, that we have a core personality, and then we have these parts that kind of circle around that core personality, and the parts are younger pieces of self that came into being due to trauma or difficulty or challenge at younger ages. And they come out at certain times to enact really old uh, defensive strategies that no longer work. And so I remember driving down to LA by myself and listening to No Bad Parts by Dick Schwartz and really going through the exercises and having conversations with this part of me 
that would get flooded during disagreement that would stonewall that would shut down and i remember you know talking to a much younger part of me maybe six or seven who was saying look all i'm trying to do is protect you from getting hurt from women again and i was like oh yeah that that makes a lot of sense and so i had to let him know hey look you're safe i've got you you're secure and i'm happy to promote you to kind of chief advisor in my head and you always have my ear and at the same time you've got to let me the adult me the core me have the final say in how i act and think and feel in these difficult moments because what we're talking about here is maybe five or ten minutes out of weeks of time like right. it's you know it's not like this is me even half the time it's, no. it's these really tiny segments of time where the worst of you or the worst of me comes out and if i may share from my experience on that other side was logically i could say to you <clears throat> I'm not your mom. I'm not your ex. Treat me differently. But it's not that logical, right? We're talking mm -hmm. about emotionally embedded, for lack of a better word, trauma responses, mm -hmm. right? We talked about my trauma response in our last episode of anxiety. And I think this was perhaps a trauma response for you. That shutdown was a yep. self-protection. Your brain saying, keep me safe. And it wasn't about me being logical of, hey, I'm not these other women in your life. Don't treat me as such. It was much deeper and embedded in that. And I remember once you started to share some of that IFS work with me, there were times with your permission in the middle of some not super deep disconnections. But I would try to say, hey, John, can I talk to the part of you that is shutting down right now? So, you know. I know you guys listening are thinking, okay, well, you guys are two therapists. You guys can do this. And yet it's also a decision to shift the language and how you communicate during these moments. You don't have to be, you know, trained and, you know, be guiding others in this work to just understand that this was a very valuable tool. And there were times where I could ask you, I remember one time in Costa Rica, when we were there over the summer, I said, hey, what's the part of you that's upset right now? And you were able to do that. Mm -hmm. And that was also helpful because now this was in an effort of connection as well as healing, as well as regulating well, yourself. And it changes the, the dynamics, right? Because it's no longer me that's the problem. It's a part of me that I can externalize. And so then it can be you and me against this other part in some way. Right. Because I, someone was telling me uh, just last night at the men's monthly dinner that, you know, as long as it's me and her against the world, we're fine. It's when one of us gets tired or worn down or stressed or, you know, overwhelmed that the wheels kind of fall off. And, and I think that's yeah. true for all of us. Yeah. So that was a really big piece, but it started to give you the confidence of, wow, I actually can change this. Mm -hmm. And my guess is you only had to have a few experiences of seeing it showing up differently to then harness that and build upon that. And then I, in a practice of gratitude and appreciation, which we'll go into more in a few minutes, could really honor that to give you the positive reinforcement, right? So we always say, you know, validate the behaviors you wish to continue to see. So the oh, more yeah. I could acknowledge what I see as you doing the work, even if you're not all the way back to me yet emotionally, as long as I can validate the process, that will give you more regulation to continue to step towards. I think that's a big point in the sense of, I don't think I'm going to be perfect at this. It's not Damn like, it, you know, I snap not? my fingers and, <laughs> and it goes away. Um, I think that I've gotten better at it. I think that the frequency with which it happens has gone down. I think the length of time that I'm stuck in that place is shorter and the intensity of it has come down. And so I'm always looking at that in terms of duration, intensity, frequency. And, and I think it's important to note that I'm not perfect at this and, and I don't actually it, anticipate ever being perfect at it, but the goal is to become better at it. And so I look at the fact that the frequency with which this happens has gone down quite a bit. I look at how long I stay stuck in that state and note that it's become much shorter. And so I'm always looking at, you know, duration, intensity, frequency. Has the duration of it gone down? Is the intensity less? And does it happen less frequency? Because I think it's important, especially for partners to note if you see improvement in any one of those areas, that's still improvement. Even if it's not the improvement you want to see, let's say, because 
most times we're looking at intensity, right? Well, he's still getting as angry as he was, but is it happening less frequently? Well, yeah, it's happening, you know, once a month instead of once a week. Well, that's improvement. Right. Um, and, and to your point, I think it's, it's critical to complement the behavior or reward the behavior you want to see. I think most people are not very good at that. And we just no. focus on what they're not doing. And if you want to see behavior change in someone you love, you got to give them props when you see them making the effort. You got to focus on the effort more so than the outcome. Yeah. And to your point, and, you know, in more vulnerability, I would say from summer, you know, after we came back from Costa Rica in June, I would say it has been like the smoothest sailing it's ever, ever, ever been. And we just recently had a disconnect. And that was the first time in almost three and a half, four months. Mm -hmm. And the intensity, frequency, and duration, well, the frequency, you know, it was once in a handful of months. The intensity was, I would say, much smaller on that scale. And it didn't last that long. We got ourselves out of it much, much mm -hmm. quicker. And I was getting stuck in a little bit of a loop of that, of the disconnect in my own head of like, oh, these old stories are still here. Like the old narratives are still showing up. And I had to give myself compassion of, look, these are deeply embedded narratives. My abandonment story, I'm too much, your worthiness story, you're not going to be good at, you know, validating my needs enough. And I had to realize that may never, ever, ever go away. But if it shows up with less intensity, frequency, and duration, well, that's a huge improvement. Mm -hmm. And our ability to repair and get out of it is actually the most important part of that. Right. And, and I think this might be a good thing to, to name around really good repair attempts and abilities to reconnect after disconnection. And so many couples have an argument, they get their anger out, they go to sleep, they sleep it off, they wake up and they keep going on with her every day yeah. and they don't actually repair. Yeah. And, and that one of the things that we did, which I think was massive along these lines, and, and I think, you know, we've talked about the two sides to repair. So there's making the repair attempt and then there's receiving the repair attempt well. And, you know, you got to work on both those. However, I think the other thing that we did, which I think is largely credit to you, is we would have a disagreement and then we would circle back to the disagreement a day, two, three, seven days later when we were calm and we knew we both agreed to come at it with curiosity and objectivity as much as we could and kind of go back and dissect what happened to look at where did I get triggered? What happened? What could we do differently? Was it a tone of voice thing? Was it how we, it was said? Was it a content thing? Like, you know, what was brought up? Was this about us? Was this about, you know, kind of a past relationship? Was this about childhood? Was this about trauma? That was really helpful because then you can, and, and sometimes it would, we'd go revisit these disagreements four or five, six times, which but at first your, I was like, oh shit, like, I, we got to talk about this again. And then it was kind of painful at first. And I think it's also highly effective if you want to have a happy, thriving relationship to begin to be curious about what are the triggers so that we can begin to reduce them and to step more carefully and gently around your partner's insecurities or triggers. Right. And this is a really big deal. And I'm, I'm glad you're bringing this point up because I, I think for many years when I would bring it back up, your common response would be, I thought we already dealt with this. Aren't we done? And if I'm not done, we're not done. Like that, that's fundamentally, if one of you is not feeling connected, the partnership is not going to feel connected. And so if you're that partner who doesn't like it when the other one continues to bring something up, assume positive intent. If you can assume that they're not here to rehash what you did wrong. But like you said, that curiosity and compassion, so we can understand what are the patterns that we keep getting stuck in. Because this is something I focus on a lot with clients. There's the details and there's the patterns. The details are what the fight was about, you know, that that's going to change every time, but we're likely repeating ongoing patterns. And that 
is what I'm curious about. So where we can create the change, because the details are going to change day to debate day, depending on your mood or how busy our day was, how much sleep we got, how good we're, I mean, like, that's just going to be what it is. Mm-hmm. But the more we can recognize the pattern, also the less personally we can take it. It makes me think of like, when you talk about the more education you can have on, let's say, dealing with a narcissist, then you can depersonalize the pattern and just say, oh, this is just what's happening, right? I think we get so triggered in partnership because we over-personalize every mm-hmm. step of the way. When I like that idea of once you can recognize the game, i.e. the dynamics, you can begin to step out of the game. Yeah. Because if I can say, oh, yeah, this is just Jory's trauma response to abandonment, I can take that less personally and then I can focus on supporting you versus yeah. get to, if I take it personally, then I'm going to attack back with anger. Right. Right. Easier said than done from time to the moment, which is why that revisiting Absolutely. is really helpful. And, you know, assuming positive intent that I'm not here to be a nudge, I'm not here to put you down or to shame or blame you for the disconnection, but remembering, Hey, we're on the same team. My goal is for us to be as connected as possible. Well, and that assuming positive intent thing, I think is, it just fascinates the hell out of me in the sense that whenever we first get into a relationship, I think we see our partner through rose colored glasses, right? They can do no wrong. They're amazing. Everything they do is perfect. Um, And over time, as those little hurts, resentments, annoyances add up and accumulate, that lens my belief is slowly goes from all positive to more negative to mostly negative, And in some cases to all negative. And, and I think this is somewhat inevitable in most relationships or it, it's common, let's put it that way. And so I, I think one of the things you can do about it is just be aware of the dynamic and then have occasional conversations with your partner. So, you know, Hey honey, I, I kind of get the feeling like we're getting into a little bit of pessimistic interpretations of each other's actions. How about if we make a concerted effort to go back to assuming positive intent? Because I'm not here to screw you. I'm not here to make your life harder. I'm, I'm trying to help out, but it just doesn't feel like it's being interpreted that way. And, and the classic example we have is, you know, the client that brought flowers home to his wife and the wife was so negative and pessimistic. She was like, why the hell did you bring home flowers? I hate flowers. They're just going to die. What a waste of money. And you're like, Ooh, you know, when you get to that point, you're in trouble. Yeah. Well, and I think our old dynamic would have even had me anxious about saying, hey, hon, can we focus on the positive? Because I think the old pattern would have, you would have over-personalized. I I would have walked on eggshells a little bit about that. That would have been harder for me Mm -hmm. years ago than it would for me now. I feel much more confident given the growth that we've had to be able to say, hey, babe, I'm, I'm, I'm noticing a little negative lens either what's coming up for you right now, or can you assume positive intent here or just having that curiosity? And I think you would receive that much differently now than Mm -hmm. you ever would have in the past. Yeah. So that believing positive change is possible. And I just want to ask you one question because for for some couples who really want to believe change is possible and outside of doing psychedelics to rewire your brain, is it, for you, was it as simple as, well, I don't want to lose Dory. She, you know, I've never had a big enough motivation to believe this change is possible. What really was it for you that made that decision? Was it me as the motivation after being out there and dating a bit, recognizing, well, I, I, I really don't want to lose her? Or is it I'm tired of this pattern? I know I can do different because cognitively believing it and then enacting it is not always as easy. Yeah, I, I think there's a few things in there. One is, you know, prior to breakup, I think I got resigned and a bit of feeling defeated where I was just kind of like, screw it. I, I can't seem to change this pattern. And so I was really well, frustrated with I, myself. And I think your response, you would say to me, even during the breakup, but I'm just better off alone. Like, I don't even think I should be in relationship. Yeah. Yeah. I'm no good at this relationship thing, which, which is shame by right. the way. I mean, you know that, but just for the listeners, um, And so then I think, yeah, dating, being out there, being broken up really made me realize how much I care for you and how much I love you and how rare you are and gave me a incredibly high level of motivation to look at some of these things in myself. 
And then I also had the realization that, you know, wow, I do have a growth mindset in, I don't know, 95% of life, but the areas that were confounding me or frustrating the hell out of me were in that 5%. Yeah. And so I think I had just had this unconscious attitude of, it's never going to change. And so once I realized that I was like, well, shit, that's not going to work because I mean, I've, I've seen so many clients come in to see me over the last 30 years that are, you know, very depressed and they're like, you know, I need help. But then they're like, well, nope, won't work for me. doesn't work. Tried it. Nope. That works for other people. Not for me. And their conviction that nothing will help their conviction that nothing can change ensures that no change will happen. Versus if you believe change is possible, I'm pretty sure we can find a way to make change possible. And so I just had to realize at a very tiny, specific, granular level that I was holding on to that belief about these one or two particular behaviors. Yeah. And and I want to thank you for that, just, you know, that personal piece to it. And for you listening, if you're in that relationship, believing you can't change, but you also aren't convinced you're fighting for the partner you have, I would just advise go with the belief change as possible, even if you aren't certain about this partner, because that's going to help no matter what. Whether you're fighting for this relationship or you're going to move on to the next one, you know, I I, I do believe a big piece of that, and this isn't just my my ego or my pride. I do believe a big piece of that was about me. You realize, oh shit, I don't want to lose her, and I'm motivated to keep to keep her. And ideally, you would have come to that conclusion no matter what, so that you can get out of a pattern that you had never been otherwise able to get out of. So it's a good mindset to adopt, even if you aren't certain about the partner you currently have, if you're in question about that. Yeah. And and I think the other part that enters into this and, and not so much for us, but I think in general for couples that I see or that we see is this concept of anger. And, and I, I say this, I'm going to say mostly for the men, but you know, it's not just men. Um, that to the extent we get stuck in that anger dynamic, especially in a partnership, we are externalizing all blame onto our partner and we are completely cutting ourselves off from the the possibility of introspection and change. And so, you know, one of the first steps is really getting past that anger to look at what's my part in this? What am I responsible for? What's the work that I need to do? Because, you know, we've worked with a lot of men and women or husbands and wives and I think in general, the women are more open to work, open to growth, open to learning relationship skills. And I think that's partly how it's about how women are socialized versus men. And, you know, so I just want to encourage the men out there to be open to doing their own work, be open to getting past the anger to the hurt that you're experiencing, and then asking, what do I need to do to make things better? What's my responsibility? Because I can't tell you how many couples I've talked to where the husband's like, she just needs to change. Yeah. I, I want to bring up one thing, and I, I just pulled up a document that I want to share a little bit of because I, I don't want to spend too long because I want to get back to more what you and I did. But I think this is a really important component to add on to the anger piece. And one of the things that we always get curious about is, is depression underlying that? Mm. And what I wanted to share is that depression looks different in men and women. And not everyone recognizes that because many people think depression just looks the same, which is sad, no motivation, you know, curled up and just hopeless and helpless. And yes, that may be true, but we also know through research that it's going to be different in men and women. And this is another level of curiosity, which is some of that male dynamic is that externalization of blame, more irritable more suspicious or feeling attacked or overreact or as women, you know, so men kind of turn that outward. And when women are feeling this, they turn it inward, more self-blame, sad, tearful, sleep more, whereas the men might have, you know, trouble sleeping, um, withdrawing, she might feel uh, slowed down or more anxiety. So I think it's an important component to add that if there is anger or some of these other factors coming up that are getting in the way of the relationship, it's always a good question to say, hey, what's underneath that? 
Because it might yeah, not and, just and, be, you know, on so, the surface level of anger. Thank you for bringing that up. Because I think when I look at men and I see irritability, impatience, externalization of blame, rigid thinking, I'm wondering, huh, I wonder if there's a degree of depression there. Yeah. At this point in my career. Yeah. And, you know, of course, most men are like, I'm not depressed because, you know, how can like, it's not, it's not masculine to be depressed or sad. Like that's pussy stuff. Um, but you know, the, the truth is that we are human as well as male. And so we're going to feel everything on the emotional spectrum. We're just trying to suppress it and hide from it generally because of how we're socialized. Yeah. So thank you so much for believing that change was possible. I really value that you did that work because it was a very integral part of our healing and reconnection and ability to be where we're at now. So yeah, I'm, public, I'm publicly thanking you. Um, moving on to some of the other things that we did that were really necessary. Let's as go to part the titillating one. Okay. Um, so one it. of the things, one of the things that I brought in is this concept of a gratitude massage, which I learned about during our breakup. And the idea is that, well, you get into the right environment, like go to the bedroom, you disrobe, let's hope the little ones are out of the room right now for this, but you get naked and one partner lays face down on the bed. The other partner proceeds to give them a massage on the backside, the back for 10 minutes while coming up with every compliment and every reason to be grateful that they are grateful for having their partner in their life. And then you flip over and you do another 10 minutes. And then you trade and you see how long you can go. But it's this amazing practice, A, in terms of learning different ways to be grateful for your partner, values, emotions, communication, hard work, effort, little things that they do. Um, and it's a practice in taking in the good, which we can get to a little bit later. Yeah. How was that exercise for you? Oh, it was amazing on a variety of levels. I mean, number one, anytime, you know, you're going to offer a massage, I, I'm game. What hits your now, two, you know, top love languages yes, as well, I touch mean, like, and words of affirmation. Like massage specifically is a high level of, you know, on the physical touch scale. But to be able to pair loving touch with loving words and to get out of any negative mindset thinking, does he really mean this? Is he just saying this? It, you know, Oh, does he just want sex? And that's not what I would think, but I think it could be easy mm -hmm. for some people to have barriers to receive it. So you're also pairing relaxation techniques. You know, it's going to inherently slow you down for couples who might have trouble with intimacy, this is a great entree into that without forcing or expect, not forcing, but you know, expecting sex to come next. Well, you can also do it clothed if you want, but that's you. you, know. you, you well, that's less fun. I know. And, <laughs> and, and I absolutely loved this because there was so much focus on the negative for so long that this was an intentional space to focus on the good. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes when we're giving compliments to someone, the habitual response is to just immediately reciprocate, right? And say, oh, I love you too. Or, oh, I appreciate that and what you did. But to be able to just shut up and listen and receive, it, it's a practice at times. Yeah, to, to practice taking the compliment into your heart, to realize that people are better at spotting our positive traits than we are ourselves most times. And so deciding to believe that the compliments are sincere and true, and then yeah. letting those compliments sit inside of you and fill you up. It's it, that takes practice. It's, and it, it yeah. could take years. It, that's all from Rick Hansen, right? Taking in the good. And that's great shit. It, it, it's really good. And, to make it a little bit more titillating, I even know early on in our relationship, it was a practice for each of us just to receive things sexually without immediately reciprocating. Mm -hmm. And it, you know, if you're listening and be like, well, why should I just sit there and receive? Isn't that selfish? No, 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 no. Like it, it's actually a gift 
to your own self to be present and allow to take in what your partner's offering to you, whether that's words or touch, a sexual act, an act of service, and to not feel the need to immediately dismiss it through reciprocity. When it's it's an act of love and adoration and worship at some level. Yeah. And so to be able to take it in and be grateful for what it is, um, it, that that's a practice. It, it took yeah. us some some work. Yeah. So the gratitude. It's, it's amazing to be. Yeah. Highly, highly recommend. Thank you for that. Um, one of the things that you know had gotten in our way was we just didn't have enough time together. Mm. And you know, I know our there's reasons for that too, right? And you know, part of our you know challenge of not living together post divorce with kids, where we've got you know the majority of our custody of each of our kids, and always having put our kids first was really beneficial for many years, and then it kind of became more problematic over time. And during our recovery uh, after breakup, we made a commitment to see each other every day. Mm-hmm. And it came at a cost. Like there were times where that meant you didn't go to the gym in the morning or I didn't, you know, do my meditation and journaling like I would normally do in the mornings. And it could be as little as 30 minutes to an hour. But to make the daily commitment to say you're important enough to me that I'm going to put everything else aside that I would otherwise say is important to prioritize our time together. And that was a really big deal. And, you know, I talk with couples a lot about having a weekly check-in. I talked to a couple yesterday who were like, yeah, you know, I I still can't find time in our week to do a check-in. And it's like, well, put it on the calendar. And I say this all the time to couples. And they're like, well, that's not sexy. That feels weird. I said, well, but having it on the calendar is a acknowledgement that you are prioritizing time with your partner above everything else. You, you, you schedule everything else in your day. Why wouldn't you schedule time with a person who you say is the most important thing to you? Mm-hmm. And that was a really huge offering. And I think you needed to see that for me, especially. Mm-hmm. It was really helpful to me. In what ways? I mean, I could assume, but why don't you um, share what, because what was helpful I had played. For you? You know, we, so we're both single parents, which is a phrase that I hate, but it's true. Um, and I think it, things changed when I got my daughter a hundred percent of the time, which I would never do anything differently. I, I think oh. that's been and amazing I supported for you her. A thousand percent. Yeah. Absolutely. And it also put a strain on our relationship. Um, it meant we couldn't do sleepovers much at all. Um, we didn't really have time for each other. You've got your girls 80% of the time plus, and we had decided early on in our relationship that the kids were number one and we were number two. And that made sense to me. And over time, I think it became more and more difficult for me because I was okay being a close number two, but over time I felt like I was a distant number two and I felt less and less important. I felt less and less of a priority. And over time again, just got kind of resigned. Yeah. And I wasn't able to hear that openly. I would get defensive around that when you would share that. And it was hard because we're talking about our values, right? So Mm -hmm. it was a conflict in values. And oftentimes when we have top values, we can't have both be the number one, right? There's only one, one thing you can do at a time. And that was really, really hard for me. And so I I apologize. I wasn't always able to hear that when you would share that. And I also realized, okay, now my kids are old enough where I don't need to have them number one all the time. And let me tell you, they didn't necessarily take that very well. And, you know, for the first time ever, it put a strain on some of my relationships with my girls in that they saw me prioritizing you. And of course, without the breakup. Well, and having a boundary and I mean, there was layers to it that they were also hurt from our breakup and didn't understand what we were going through. So I I have compassion for their confusion Mm -hmm. as well. And I also was like, shit, you know, I'm not going to lose him. Whatever I need to do to let him know, not just tell him, but show him he's my priority. And if he's hurting in this, my defensiveness around the justification for my actions 
if not compassionate listening and acknowledgement. And so I, I, I made that commitment. And for I think there was 30 days in a row that we saw each other. And I'll be honest, it was also 30 straight days of sex. And the majority of that was also me coming to your place. And I yeah. felt like I was making more of the, the effort a little bit of me mm-hmm. coming to you. But I also needed to show you, you're my priority. And, and that, when was, we're to- that was huge for me. And, and when we're together, we're going to connect. And it's, you know, even if it's outside of the sex, but, you know, it was just a matter of creating the space to show and not tell what is my highest value right now. And this would have been different, obviously, had the kids been 10 years old and not, you know, 19 years old and 17 right. years old. And so there's an age appropriateness that I felt the ability to make that shift. But, you know, the other thing, if, if you're listening and you're like, well, I, and this isn't just for divorced couples who are dating post-divorce, but like married couples don't have time for each other. So if I could make an hour of my day to drive 10 minutes each direction to John's and deprioritize other top values in my life and in that have the ability to connect emotionally, spiritually, mentally, and then physically, look what that did for us. Yeah, so like huge. Just imagine if you gave that time to your partner on a regular basis because everyone's like, I don't have time. Great. Make the time. If it's a priority, you make the time. Yeah, and that could be date nights, it could be having lunch, it could be writing notes to your partner, it can be leaving post-its on the bathroom mirror, like get creative. I once saw someone, I think it was a coach I follow online or something, say, if Oprah called and said, hey, I have spot for you tomorrow on my show, can you be here? You would drop everything to go land on yourself on Oprah's couch. So if you would drop everything to land on Oprah's couch... You can drop a lot to sit next to your partner for even if it's five or 10 minutes a day. So I'm, I, I'm really grateful that I made that commitment and I'm so grateful that it meant so much to you yeah, to show I'm me as well. taking, taking action. And, you know, I think one of the things that in some of those times we would do that was really helpful was we would have check-ins with each other and, my favorite way to do this was to ask the question, how did I make you feel loved this week? And what could I have done to make you feel more loved? And I've had clients who are like, you ask that every week when I share this with them. And this is actually much easier than it sounds. Mm-hmm. But for some people that became really overwhelming as I thought as I would share that. But something really beautiful happened in which... In the beginning, when we would do these check-ins, we still had comments around, how could I make you feel more loved? Mm -hmm. There was actual feedback there. Like We were still working on and working through what we both needed. And there was safety in that container to share, hey, here's what would make me feel more loved this week. And then we got so good at giving that feedback and then making that change it's been weeks since we've had a response of, I could have felt more loved this week by you doing X, Y, or Z. Well, the other thing I loved about that is by asking the question, how did I make you feel loved this week? And sometimes that would happen several times a week, the mm-hmm. question, but it's again, a chance and an opportunity to practice gratitude and appreciation mm-hmm. for what you were doing Yeah, in a variety of areas of life, whether it was for me or for your daughters or at work. Yeah. And, and I think that's a really good practice just to help to, to train our minds to focus on the positive since we know we all have a negativity bias and without training, we naturally overfocus on the negative. We got to find a way to counter that. It's just not yeah. helpful in relationship. Yeah. Yeah. That was big. I, I love doing those check-ins. I, I, I mm-hmm. think it's fantastic. And I, I think it's really vulnerable for a lot of people. And they don't necessarily have the language to do it. So, you know, if you're listening and you're like, wow, that feels really big. My partner and I are far from that. Well, then start small, you know, build to that. And maybe you can start with the little things. I mean, you know, thank you for emptying the dishwasher. That gratitude and appreciation can extend far beyond what you actually realize. As we talk about with our clients, most couples don't do this. 
I like the idea of making a game out of it. You know, so can you catch your partner doing the smallest thing possible and thank them for it? Or what's the smallest thing you can catch or pick up? And, and part of it's training yourself to be aware and seeing what they are doing that's good. So I'll give you a real time um, gratitude that I haven't shared with you yet because I actually forgot. So yesterday you came over and um, when you parked outside, you pulled in the garbage can. Thank you mm -hmm. so much for that. I always appreciate when you pull on a garbage can when you see one outside and it's not just because it's blocking your spot to park. You genuinely do it to be helpful. And I forgot to say thank you for that yesterday. So thank you for doing that. You are welcome. So one of the things that, you know, I used to get frustrated with you about is when I would give you a compliment and you couldn't take it in. And I would say, mm, thanks. Yeah. And that used to bug me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I used to tell you it would bug me because it felt dismissive that you couldn't actually receive it. And you've gotten much, much better at actually taking it in. And it's so silly that your response to my compliment used to be annoying to me because I felt like I, I want you to see what I see in you. But I think once you were able to get out some of out of some of those shame stories, you were actually able to see it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think a lot of this has to do with just in general and kind of commenting on relationships. I was thinking as we were preparing for this about complacency and how I believe complacency in relationship is kind of the silent killer of relationships. Mm -hmm. That as soon as we become complacent, as soon as we get into that hedonic treadmill or taking our partner for granted and just assuming that they're going to be there today, tomorrow, and down the road, because we're married is the death knell of relationship. I think, you know, we've got to understand just how important your relationship is. It's a, if not the foundational pillar of a happy, thriving life. Yeah. Because if man, if your relationship at home is fucked up, nothing else in your life is going to be going well, no. because that's going to be weighing on you every step of the, every step of the day. And, and so it's, it's really just realizing how important that relationship is and resolving to work on it, to put positive deposits into the bank account, so to speak, and to get better at communicating around it. Yeah. I remember once years ago, I had a client, a couple in my office, and he had said to me like, well, you know, I love her. Divorce is never an option. And I looked at him very seriously and I said, divorce is always an option. Yep. Like if you... And my favorite spiritual teacher, Dan Millman, you know, he once said, until you can accept death, you can't accept life. And so I took that to until you can accept divorce, you can't fully be in relationship or, and, yep. you know, accept the breakup. Like, and I don't want to sound too over um, dramatic about it, but every moment's an opportunity to turn towards one another, right? We mm -hmm. look at Gottman's work of the turning towards and I know you're not going to turn towards your partner a hundred percent of the time. And if you're turning away or being neutral, which is a more of a negative actual response than a negative response to that bid for attention, it's going to add up. And, you know, one of the things that I always say is we all just want to be seen, heard and validated and acknowledged. Right. And if we're not turning towards and making that a priority, it is a silent killer. Mm -hmm. And it, I mean, I love that idea of bids for attention, right? These small bids for each other's attention that we make all day, every day. And, you know, when you ignore or meet one of those bids negatively, that's a, a small drop in the bucket of negative emotions. And those suckers accumulate over time. And I love the idea because it points out just how small these hurts can be. Yeah. And if you, if you, really grasp an awareness of that and understand kind of this exquisite sensitivity that we all have emotionally, whether or not we want to acknowledge it, whether or not we're aware of it. I, I think the vast majority of us are not aware of it, but I think that's what we have to work towards is increasing our emotional awareness, increasing that emotional granularity, increasing the awareness of the emotional impact that we're having for positive or negative on our partner. Yeah. Rather than ignoring it or suppressing it or, or being defensive or arguing against it. Yeah. And 
you know, kind of adding on to that, but also going to another practice that I, I think we've really gotten much better at. And again, we're never going to be a hundred percent. And I think me more than you, I, I need to accept it's never going to be a hundred percent. I think I might have some high expectations there. And that's I, just I settle like, for good enough. And I'm working on that. You know, I, I, I once had a very pivotal experience at a bat mitzvah and the, the, the Torah portion that was being read at that bat mitzvah was like the opening book, like day one, book one, God created the world and it was good. And the rabbi says, God created the world and didn't say it was great. God said it was good. Like if it's good <laughs> enough for God in the world, can it be good enough for you and your relationship? Right. So I'm not super religious, but I, I, I love, I just told that to a client this past week, like, can we let good be good enough? And the, one of the biggest things that I think was in our way that I am so grateful we've gotten so much better at is that non-defensive listening. Mm, that was huge. And I, I, I see couples do this a lot and we were stuck in this. And I think my defensiveness was just as strong as yours, but I didn't recognize my own defensiveness because I felt so justified and righteous in my actions. As That's what happens. But look what I'm doing. I'm still doing good. Well, I could be doing the best thing in the world, but if I'm not hearing you, then I, I'm not being a good partner in that moment. Mm -hmm. And so I had to recognize where I was externalizing that that's what you were doing. But I had to really hold the mirror up to myself and say, fuck, I'm doing defensive listening too. And that was part of your challenge with me that you couldn't get through to me some mm -hmm. of the things that you were feeling because I was so justified in my actions. And again, I apologize for how long I was unable to hear that. And I think we've both done much, much better in that non-defensive listening. Yeah. I, I accept your apology and I apologize for my own defensive listening. And, and I think, you know, the, the non-defensive listening is, is pretty amazing because you know, if we consider that two thirds of issues in relationship are unresolvable, then the best we can do with those issues is merely to make sure our partner feels heard, seen, and validated. Yeah. And if we're responding to their complaints or their criticism or their concern or their hurt with, defensiveness, you know, telling them what I'm thinking or tell them what I was doing or telling them what my intention was or telling them why I was, what I was doing was good or right. They're, I'm not hearing them. I'm not yeah. hearing that person. And, and so it's, it, it really, I, I mean, I think we're still practicing this. We're still learning this, but you know, when there were several times where you got angry at me and I didn't respond, I simply listened. And at the end, and I think I probably validated too and said, you know, I can see where that would make you really angry. And then at the end said, you know, thank you for sharing your anger with me. Yeah. And it's yeah. A, the feeling that you get after being heard non-defensively. It, it's, it's a weight lifted off your heart. Yeah. Is the best way I can put it. it, it it's huge. It, it's really huge. And there's also something in that, in which I think we, if, if, people are still getting stuck in patterns of defensive listening. One of the things I like to share with clients is name your concern up front to help disarm their defenses. So if I want to share something with you that I might fear you might get defensive around, I might start by saying, Hey, hon, I want to be able to share something. Can you just listen for a moment? So I'm kind of preempting my mm -hmm my intention or my need, which might give you a greater heads up of, okay, she's asking for me not to get defensive. So this is a good opportunity to just enter into this listening state, maybe take a deep breath, maybe just see if I need to get myself relaxed. So that way I can be present to what she has to say. You know, that might be easier than just sharing something. If you know, this might be a trigger for your partner's defenses. And, and I think the other extension of that is when you're practicing non-defensive listening, there might actually be some real merit to what you're intending, what you're thinking. And I would say it's okay to bring that up, but bring it up in a second conversation after the fact, maybe the next day. Um, I think it's, and, and you've got a saying that I love, it's something about 
validation, then rationalization. Validate first. Validate, validation. Then, validation, then, then rationalization. Yeah. And I don't know about rationalization, but validation and then, you know, sharing your intention. Well, well I think the rationalization for me, it's the validation is going to quiet down the emotional brain. The rationalization is coming from a logical brain, right? So we know that the emotional brain, when it gets activated, shut down our prefrontal cortex. So all of our tools of logic, reason, rationality are not accessible when we're in that emotional brain. The reason I have it... Uh, at the rationalization is rationalization to me says bullshit excuse for bad behavior. Like there's an association I have with it. Right. Yeah. So, but for me, it's really, you know, can we quiet down the emotional brain so we can be then, you know, talking to the logical brain, because if I'm coming from a place of emotion and you're responding from a place of logic, it's two different. It's, It's we're crossing. We're missing. So we're, yeah, we're missing. So the validation piece, First speaks to the emotional before we try to get to the logical or rational. Yeah. Which is easier said than done when you're both in an emotional state. Wow, that was speaks. a lot of stuff. Yeah. It's it's a, it a lot is of tools. A lot. Yeah. And and I think the other thing to consider <laughs> is that to me, this is always a lifetime practice. All these tools are tools that we're trying to add to our tool belt over time, ideally with the intention of making them habitual, unconscious, and automatic. Some of those, some of the tools we talked about, I think you can get better at and get that done. Some probably will take intention and, you know, conscious thought. But to me, there's no more important thing in this lifetime to work on than improving the quality of your relationships because everything else stems from that. Absolutely. Well, and, you know, if we look back at the Gottman's work, they have what they call the sound relationship house. And it's similar to, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, that unless you have a strong foundation, you can't move higher up to shared vision of the future, shared values, you know, so a lot of this stuff feels foundational to come back to some basic, you know, curiosity, compassion, connection, getting to know each other, finding out what each other's needs are and trying to speak to some of the more basic ways to get to know your partner in the here and now. Cause I think that's where a lot of people get disconnected. Like we have all of that at the beginning of a relationship, a lot of curiosity, a lot of questions, and then it goes into assumptions, which then can lead to unspoken needs and resentments. And we just need to get back to some of that basic, like how would you court your partner? What would you do? If you were trying to court them now, you would give them time and attention. You would give them, you know, compliments or appreciation more frequently. You might be more, you know, amenable to letting go of the small stuff because you're looking for the good. You'd be intensely curious and ask a lot of questions, which is why I like that 36 questions exercise, because I think for so many of us, we get into a long-term relationship and we just start assuming that we know our partner better than anyone else. We know what they're thinking. We know what they're going to say. We know what they're going to do. And we stop being curious and we stop learning about them. Yeah. Even though we'll you know, that- your point is that we always, we continue learning and growing, but we kind of fail to recognize that as the partner. Right. Maybe we'll put that link of the 36 questions okay. in the show notes so people can download that and use it as a practice. Another great tool there as we begin to wrap up is the Gottman's have an app called Card Decks. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, probably like, 15 or 16 different categories of questions to be able to have with your partner or as Sarah Perel has the card game, where shall we begin? Right. So there's a lot of opportunities for conversation starters. Cause I find that that for a lot of couples have a hard time beginning. Like just actually, like, you know, Esther Perel's game is very aptly named. Like, where do we begin? Like, how do we start? Yeah. And you know, so there's a lot of good resources out there. And again, I, I want to harness what you said of this is ongoing work. You know, I know that you and I have done an immense amount of healing in a relatively short period of time. I mean, I look back to just where we were a year ago and it's ironic. So I will just share it because I, I, I find dates and things interesting, but Exactly one year ago today, now this is the day that you and I are recording this, this is coming out in a couple of weeks, but exactly one year ago today was when we had our first therapy session. No wonder I felt traumatized. 
I know, right? <laughs> and, you know, that was that two-hour therapy session in which it was fucking painful and you broke up the next day. And look at just in one year, like I'm so grateful. I'm actually grateful for the pain of the journey. I, 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 I actually am. I needed to go through all of that. It had to break me down to rebuild me. It had to break us down to rebuild us. We needed but to wake up. We, we did. And I thought I was awake, which was the shitty part. But that was a year ago. And, and now, like, look where we are. I'm so proud of us. I'm so proud of our courage to look at ourselves because that's hard. And sure. I'm, I'm actually more proud of you than me because you had a harder time looking at some of those, you know, dark spots. I think I was a little bit more open. I didn't see them as well, but I wasn't as afraid to look at them. And your courage to look at them and to overcome them, I'm just incredibly, incredibly proud and grateful. And we've come a long way, baby. Thank you. Yeah. And, and I think it's, it feels so good to be here now. And I think, you know, the breakup was a great reminder of just how important you are to me and how, how much I was willing to fight for you. Because one of the things we didn't mention was the two-day, six-hour-a-day couples counseling marathon that we did with the Blooms in Santa Cruz. Yeah. And that was tough, too. Six hours of therapy back-to-back -back for two days, honestly... That was all the commitment I needed from you to know this relationship was going to work. And we had just begun to do our work and your willingness. And you also found them. You booked it like you, you drove that. That for me was almost enough to know he's committed to me. We're going to make this work. Mm -hmm. So thank you for that. Yeah. Effort and intention. And the day that this episode comes out, we will be in Africa with our therapist, Charlie and Linda Bloom, on an amazing adventure. So, you know, our, our story can, will continue and we'll share That's more right. about that, I'm sure, in another episode. I so if this at all resonates with you and you recognize that you need some support in your own relationship and the tools that are getting in your way of deeper connection then John and I are available to work with you individually and together. We do amazing couples work together. Oftentimes, John will work with the man and I work with the woman. Then we come together for intensives. That's a beautiful model of doing couples work because sometimes a barrier to the couple or sometimes a barrier to the individual therapy is you're not always getting the full story. The like, a deeper truth of the dynamics is when both people are there sharing like, hey, that actually didn't happen that way. Let me help balance out some of the, the narrative. But when we can come together in getting individual support and then, you know, having support for everyone, it's been a beautiful model for many of our clients. Yeah. And we also have our retreat in Costa Rica in just a little, about a year. And we're going to be guiding you guys through not only the relationship skills, but the individual work to get out of our own damn way so we can be more available to bring yeah, and in I think the that's, love. That's going to fill up fast. Fill up fast. Oh, yeah. And by the way, we do have early bird, early bird pricing through the end of 2023. The price is going to go up. Um, at the end of the year. So um, we do have limited space on that too. I think we only have 10 rooms that can join us. So if it's something that you are thinking, I, I would jump on that. The link for that will also be in the show notes. And the last thing I wanted to say before wrapping up is, you know, I rarely make an ask on this podcast. I've been doing it. This is my fifth year. I've done 200 episodes. Jory's done, Jory's done over 200 episodes. And this to me is an offering of free tools to the world. Today, I'm making an ask because I, I think the information in the last podcast that Jory and I did together and this podcast is incredibly important and powerful. So if this resonated with you, if you found this useful or powerful or helpful, please, please, please share it. Yeah. Tell other people about the podcasts. I really think we're offering some incredible value here and it needs to get out to a wider audience. Absolutely. Yeah. Give a rating, a review, a share. And we've also gotten the feedback that 
this is different than just people out there doing relationship podcasts and tools because there's a lot of resources out there for relationship skills. But the vulnerability that we bring, that this is our own experience combined with our professional, you know, tool set, that the, our vulnerability, I know, is making a difference. And I Oh, yes, really- I love being vulnerable. That was eye roll. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, thank you um, in advance for sharing this because we we really are here to not only heal ourselves, but John and I have very deep intention to heal others. And we feel in very much aligned purpose that, you know, our relationship is not only the most important thing to us, but that we have purpose here together and we're and we're living that purpose and sharing us with you. And so is that it for you? That's it for me for now. That's it for me. So thank you very much for tuning into this episode of Journey Forward with Jory Rose and to the Evolved Caveman. Thanks so much, everyone. Take care and be well. And thank you, love. I love you very much. I love you too. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Evolved Caveman podcast. If you like what you've heard, support us by subscribing, leaving reviews, and sharing the podcast with friends and colleagues. For the latest, most powerful tools to connect with like-minded men, join the Facebook group at The Evolved Caveman. Follow Dr. John on Instagram at The Evolved Caveman, all one word, or join the email list by visiting guide to self.com.